0: Well, kia everyone, this is Stephen Mo speaking, and the beauty of having your own podcast is that you can put out content that you think will be helpful for lots of people. And in this case, every month or so, I hold calls, which I call impact calls, and I use them to hear different perspectives from people. If you'd like to join the list of more than 600 people who get notifications about it, then just let me know. And the purpose of the call is really to get people talking across the silos of thought that we might be in otherwise, and to meet some interesting people. Um, but I thought I'd put the audio up of this last session held yesterday. And in it, we hear from Sue McCabe, the CEO of Philanthropy New Zealand, Michelle Berryman, the Executive Director of the Fundraising Institute of New Zealand, and also Kay Marie Dunn about a new podcast called A e Corero. And that's really looking at the Treaty of Waitangi and how it has relevance in our work and our lives. I hope you enjoy this. Uh, it's great to see you all here. Tēnā koutou
1: katoa, no America aho, no te timatanga, ko te tai maunga, ko Waitaki tōku awa, ko ototahi tōku kainga inaene, Heroya tokutunga tōku tunga mahi o Perifield Lawyers, ko Steven motoku ingoa, nō no reira, nā mihi koutou katoa. Um, yeah, it's really great to welcome so many of you here on this call. I know there's real interest in our speakers, and um, they've got, I know that they've got some amazing things to say um, and share some of the research that they've been inbo- involved in and, and things that they're seeing. Um, so we're going to hear from Sue, Michelle, and Kay Marie in a minute. Um, But I just thought because quite a few of you, I think, um, haven't joined one of these calls before, just to give a little bit of background. um, They started about two years ago. So, as we all remember, two years ago was the initial lockdown. And it became um, a chance for people to connect during that first lockdown every week. And it was quite regular, you know, like every single Friday. But over time, I've realized that probably once a month is a good rhythm to get into. And the purpose behind it is that so often, we end up talking with people who we already know, and we end up being in little silos across the entire, what I call the impact or purpose-driven sector. Um, So the calls, what I'm really hoping, is that it gets us out of our traditional groups. And you'll end up talking with someone who's involved with a youth charity or suicide prevention, or rugby club, or whatever it is. And each of us on this call, I think, you can universally say that we're involved in impact in some way. And so I find it really, really encouraging to see all of you here doing what you're doing, the mahi that you're doing. Um, So that's really the intention, is to kind of bring up a focal point where we can learn from each other. And as well as that, we get to hear from some speakers. So this month, we're gonna be hearing Um, From Sue, from Philanthropy New Zealand, from Michelle, from Fundraising Institute of New Zealand, and then Kay Marie Dunn talking about the podcast she's been involved in by community research. So I want to welcome them. After um, they've spoken, we will, for whoever has time, we'll also be having some breakout room sessions so that's a chance for you to potentially get to actually meet people and um, you know, talk with another human. Because I don't want this just to be like a passive watching experience. Um, and on that line, um, the chat function, you've all been using it now to tell me where you are and the weather in your location. So if you have questions for one of the speakers, um, then feel free to use the chat to ask questions. Um, so without further ado, I'm just going to hand straight over to Sue. Um, Sue, we'd love to hear from you some of the things that are going on from Philanthropy New Zealand perspective. And I know that you've got um, some exciting developments uh, in terms of a new um, program which is launching. So I'm just going to pass it over to you. Um, thank you.
2: Uh, thank you, Stephen. Tina So yes, I'm Sue from Philanthropy New Zealand and in a very, as um, people have said, a very windy and wet Wellington. but. Uh, our thoughts are with people in other parts of the country and all the um, disruption that weather is causing, um, particularly up Tairawhiti way, I know there's some Lily joining us from that region and maybe some others. So today I am going to be quite focused about what I'm talking about, which is um, Match Kapuna Tauriti, which is a a new service for philanthropists and grant makers to connect with community and charitable groups. and this the website that gives a bit more information. Will be going live next week, and then the service will be open um, for use in mid-April. Um, so I guess to uh, you know, there's two kind of user groups on this platform. There's the funders and the fund seekers, and I think we've mostly got fund seekers as the biggest um, group here today. So I'll focus. I'll focus more on that. Um, so. Uh, Match the penatory, it's for all registered charities. Um, We know there's also a lot of non-registered groups doing really awesome work in communities, but we've just needed for the for the basic service and to get it set up and running, we've needed to stick with that registered charities group at this stage. Um, And it particularly looks to support those working with Maori, Pacifica, Rainbow, um, New Refugee and Migrant and Disability Communities, and also those with fewer fundraising resources. Um, So what it does is it provides fund seekers with an easy way to get in front of multiple funders at once by creating a profile and uploading one funding request or more than one funding request. Um, Now, it lets charities upload funding requests in the way that suits them. So you know, you can write a few bullet points about yourself and about your funding request or you can write screens. You can reuse another funding um, application that maybe was unsuccessful or only partly funded. You can use video to communicate. So we've tried to keep it really flexible and you can ask for any type of funding you want. So salaries or projects, um, you know, pay your electricity bills, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not, there's not like criteria um it's free for the smallest charities we're using um the government's uh tiered system so it's free for oh I'm trying to think whether it's I've got a Friday brain I think it's tier fours the littlest ones that have got operating payments under 140k so it's free for them then for the next um next tier which if I've got it the right way around is tier three um that is under I think, Two million. Um, it's sixty dollars a year. Um, and there's also discounts if you sign up in the first couple of months. So that's a little bit about um, kind of who it's who it's for. Um, Just on the funder aspect quickly it gives funders an easy way to find charities working in areas they want to support because when you upload your funding requests you put in whether it's uh, you know it's children it's climate change whether what region it's in who you're trying to support we've got a um, a particular focus on charities who can identify maybe they're led by the people they serve like rainbow or uh, new migrant refugees um, which is part of the equity focus Um, So yeah, so funders can find you easily. And I guess the aim is a more equitable, accessible and collaborative funding system. So equity is we want to see funding flowing to Māori, Pacifica, rainbow disability and ethnic communities, because anecdotally, we hear that um, there's not um, sufficient funds going, going to those communities. Um, accessibility which is a little bit linked with equity, but that small charities with little or no funding resource can get in front of uh, philanthropists and grant makers on the service just as easy as the big ones. Um, so this is for all registered charities but you know if a funder is searching they're, they're going to find anyone that comes up with um, uh, w- which meets their kind of search criteria and you know we know at the moment you know what a lot of effort it is because I've come from a background of fund seeking to try and identify the funding sources out there and then read the criteria and then write the applications, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And bigger charities are better resourced to be able to do that. So you know, it's seeking a funding system where fewer resources are tied up in the funding process, um, which means more are available for delivering services that make a difference to communities. And that's for funders as well as fund seekers, fewer resources tied up in that kind of process of exchange. just another couple of things to say, I mean, this is a service, I guess, that's been talked about for decades because the problems in the funding system, you know, ha- are quite complex and quite embedded and really, really hard to progress. And so some of those I've touched on, the resource required to raise the funds, inequity, um, it's more, the system's more accessible to those with more resources. Um, and funders also um, are increasingly want to connect with each other to try and improve the system um, to support charities. So it'll enable easier funder connection. There is also an important thing that it will do, which is voice into the fund seeker voice, charity voice into the funding system. Because um, you know, often we know that individual charities find it hard to sometimes provide feedback to to a funder, and even in the process of development, we were just having a, a conversation yesterday with funders and also um, some peak uh, community sector peak bodies, and some you know issues were raised and discussed around part funding. Um, so I think that this service is really going to help us to have those conversations, but also kind of progress. I won't say solutions to them because they're really really hard, um, but. But help to progress some of them. Um, Another problem uh, that's around which it's not going to fix is there's not enough funding so there is overwhelming demand for uh, philanthropic funds and grant making so it's not going to fix that however we are hoping to reach um, a group of high net worth individuals that currently find it really hard to connect with charities that they care about and the service will make it easier um, for them to do that. Um, so just, I guess, in summary, um, we're just really grateful for all the help and support that we've had to get Match the Puna up and running. It's quite a complicated um, initiative. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, it, can't, it takes a village and we've got that village. Um, we've got an amazing group of funders that have supported it right from the get go. Um, So we had, uh, you know, a funder a couple of years ago, give us a small grant to be able to start discussing it and then um, more funding to um, kind of explore the concept and test it, including with charities. And now we've got some seed funders who have given us support for um, three years to get it up and running. And I I just, you know, want to say I I know that, that this shows you know the funders that are members of philanthropy new zealand they they really do care about making the system easier and we do need kind of a system response like match the Puna Tauriti to allow us to make some of those gains. So the tricky thing about it is that um, in order to get users on the platform um we need to deliver we need to deliver value value we need to help you with your pain points right away because we need sufficient users um, of the service in order to start shifting and making that kind of positive change. So it's got this practical aspect to it, and then it's got the strategic um, aspect. So if you are interested in being part of a more equitable, accessible and collaborative funding system, then um, please do go and um, diary it for mid-April to go and check out this platform. You can contact me, I'll put some details in the chat about how you can get on the newsletter and and stuff like that. So. we're trying to support charities. We're trying to support funders. Um, and you know, crazily, in order to do that, we also need kind of your input and your involvement and your voice in that process to get this right. So I think that that's, that's it from me. Back to you, Stephen.
1: That's really awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, and I think there's some questions in the chat, which maybe you can have a look at and answer to the best of your ability. I, I, I haven't been watching all them. There's quite a few. Um, but I also want to just say, you know, this is a chance for us to get behind initiatives like this. These sort of positive initiatives. So when it does go live, you know, it's a simple thing. But using our own networks and our own social media accounts and things, and and spreading the word about good initiatives, like just a reminder that um, we can support these things as well. So um, Sue, well done um, to you and the team. That's really cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it develops. I'm gonna keep moving along and, and again, you can put questions in the chat and the person who's speaking will be able to, to say something. Um, but Kay Marie, we'd love to hear from you and really appreciate your joining. Um, we met now a couple of years ago, I think it was a Social Enterprise um, Forum at the Wellington Zoo. Of all places. Um, But I've really appreciated the variety of things that you've been involved in and really speaking into a number of different areas. And one of them that really intrigued me recently, and I binge listened to all of them, (laughs) was this um, podcast, E Corero. So we'd love to hear a little bit about that. And I know it has an initiative at um, thinking about the treaty and how that actually has impact in the mahi and the work that we're doing. Um, So I'm going to hand over to you, um, just would love to hear more about the background and what you're seeking to do with that podcast, thank you.
3: Hello Stephen and kia ora tātou and uh, it's great to hear the update from Philanthropy New Zealand. Excuse me, I, I'm in a car, um, I have been in the Hokianga in the far North um, for the last few days, I'm heading back into Whangarei, Um, so I'm in transit at the minute but um I really wanted to be part of this conversation and thanks Stephen for opening it up for us. Um, So, uh, my name is Kay Marie Dunn, um, he uri no, uh, no Te, te, te Mahana um, I am the director of MEA, Making Everything Achievable, and I have been uh, involved in um, a range of different um, a range of different initiatives and uh, opportunities to grow and develop um, Māori enterprise, Māori businesses, Māori organisations, as well as prepare ourselves for, I guess, COVID (laughs) and everything that's hit our communities over the last two years, and in particular providing uh, advice and support for our communities as well, which has been very, very difficult and challenging. Um, And so... I guess with the conversation around funding and equity and opportunity, I thought it was a great time for us to think quite seriously around what is the nature of our relationships, what does that look like and how might we build and develop a more meaningful way of um, connecting, relating and developing opportunities for our people. So part of that has been a focus on... Tetriti, um, which is not a new conversation. I think it's a really old one. Um, he Fakaputunga, which is the Declaration of Independence, which was signed in 1835. But really, underlying it all is how do we make in 2022 sense of these uh, agreements and promises. Uh, Between the crown or the settler populations and Maori or iwi Maori, actually hapu Maori, if we look at the Titi um, closely, and how do we also define those relationships today? And so, uh, in the work that we're we've been supporting um, in the social impact space, you know, we've really had to re-examine and look at the way that resource has been equitably distributed. Uh, to support families in need. And in particular, um, before COVID hit, there has been a strong power imbalance between uh, the provision of resource funding to iwi, uh, usually had been wrapped around a contract for service. And I also believe that we've really struggled with uh, the high level of trust um, that was needed really for the Crown to trust iwi Māori and community organisations to get on with the mahi that they needed to. And I mean, this won't be new conversation to any of you. Um, This is really just reiterating what most community development practitioners are aware of. But what COVID taught us um, was that we had to deploy resource in a markedly different way. And of course, we were able to lean into the promises of Te Tiriti, which was about equity, partnership, collaboration, um, and actually look at ways where um, we couldn't kind of engage in long drawn out contract discussions um, because families were in need immediately. People needed water, they needed food, they needed urgent medical um, access, a whole lot of welfare needs um housing needs, so they were all magnified times a thousand. And then if we look at the the dynamic, and I'm just kind of focusing in on the tribal entity, um tribal entities of the north uh, where we're working, um, we also have had really interesting interrelationships between tribes. So we haven't always gotten along um uh, and sometimes I guess prior to COVID um, had very stormy discussions with each other as you would with your relations. Um, But COVID meant that that was the common enemy. That was a common enemy. That was the area that um, needed to be tackled. We didn't know what it was and what impact it would have other than there was a strong likelihood that individuals, whānau Māori uh, were at the greatest risk of getting sick and getting hurt um, and dying as well. Um, What does this mean uh, in practice was that um, organizations then started to look at, well, what can we do to help? And I really want to acknowledge Foundation North, who were a great organization who just said, look, what is needed? Uh, We'll just deploy resource. You as community decide what you need to do with it. And that was a great way we're in a a funding body like Foundation North, recognised and understood, look, we've got resource, we were trying to deploy it, you decide where it goes, um, and really all we require is a one-pager report. So they tried to make it as simple as possible. Um, the way that the tribes actually decided to respond as well, because there needed to be a high level of coordination and organisation, um, was through the formation, or rather, not the formation, but the reignition of the collective which was called Te Kahu o Tāunui and Te Kahu o Tāunui is a collective of 12 iwi entities of the north who came together uh, to respond to COVID um, but also to support each other as iwi chairs um, and also look at how they were going to collectivise and deploy support, resource, communication um, across the whole Taitokero region. Now if you think about the level of Um, communication connection kind of putting away kind of old battle tools and focusing in on um, on the joint enemy Um, it was it's actually been beautiful to watch Um, but then it meant that the crown and all the agencies had to change the way that they were relating and connecting because they were now dealing with a collective entity They knew that they had to trust the entity to be able to deploy resource in the way that they saw fit because uh, iwi chairs and CEs made those decisions together Um, and they also had to ensure that that resource got out um, as quickly as possible. How does this relate back to Te Tiriti is because it was a real beautiful demonstration of treaty principles and practice. And I just want to highlight that because I think um, Te Kahua is a magnificent example, but it's not the only example. Um, Most Māori communities um, over this period of time, um, and if not all iwi, uh, have had to uh, shift the way that they operate. Um, But I also think that our um, government partners and other philanthropic agencies and organisations had to find different ways of partnering and connecting um, so that we could have greater impact in the community. So that's that piece. Um, drilling down into the podcast and the purpose for it, which I hope might be useful, is um, we're working with community research uh, to enable and empower the community sector to have access to um, conversations uh, of Maori practitioners who have been using Te tiriti in their practice. So for example, um, we interviewed uh, Dr. Kathy Irwin, um, who spoke as a researcher and an evaluator, um, but also as a practitioner um, inside the Retirement Commission, and how she was using um, Te Tiriti as a way of uh, revitalising and helping that organisation to change the way that they were working in partnership with Māori. And again, at the core of it was about the transfer of power uh, and decision-making and trusting those, um, their, their Māori partners to uh, do the things that they needed to um, to serve their people's needs. Um, we had uh, Dr. Ch- Dr. Chelsea Grootveld who talked about how she was conscientised um, and shifted her uh, knowledge from working inside of government to then uh, apply treaty principles to her work as an evaluator, Kaupapa Māori evaluator. Um, but again, the same theme of identifying how communities um, needed to be empowered um, and supported uh, to to be heard um, and for their thinking to form the basis of the design of services and solutions that best suited them. We had Mike Smith, um, who spoke as an activist. Um, actually, no, not an activist, because that's a term that other people put upon him. Um, he is a grandfather, he's a fisherman, um, and he's passionate about um, his community, equity, and justice. And for him, uh, he was really thinking quite hard around how does Te feature or the, or the fact that actually so many people kind of are busy navel-gazing and not actually getting on with the mahi at hand um, and and how important it was for communities to to develop climate change and community development um, uh, solutions that were by Māori for Māori but supported by all. And I guess his kind of critical um, challenge for all of us was uh, you know, are we are we stuffed in regards to where the climate's sitting at the moment? So that's a real big challenge that he put forward in that um in that corridor. And then finally, uh, we spoke with uh Ali Hamlin painga I mean, she spoke about the application of Titriti and her role uh as the um uh, the chief executive of Uh, kahananu social services and the challenges that she's facing um, not only in trying to advocate for support for the work that they're doing and because they're dealing with the hard edge of uh, whānau need, um, whānau experiencing homelessness, um, mental health crises, um, critical issues in Wellington City which was magnified during COVID and so how does the treaty and the principles apply to families that are just struggling to make ends meet, um, who don't even have bread and butter. So how do you talk about tsetseti? And so for her, it wasn't about the corridor. It was about ensuring that their mana was always intact in their practice, and um, that they were always um, they would always work to hear them, uh, work with them, and and ensure that her role was to advocate hard um, for the crown to support them to do what they needed to do. And she was quite unique because although they are called Kahangunu social services or Kahangunu whanau services, uh, many of the Māori that they serve may also be the same for many of the listeners here are Fano who were not of Ngāti Kahangunu origin. And plus Ngāti Kahanganu have tribal links into Wellington City, but of course they're not mana whenua. And so when you've got those interesting dynamics to contend with, how do you still ensure that the Crown will give you space? Because uh, at the moment, the treaty relationship is um, often heralded between iwi and the Crown. Um, but then we also have um, whānau, just other communities, here, which are other whānau that, Uh, come from different tribal origins that are living in different locations and so how do how do we better serve them and how do we advocate for them um, but also ensure that the mana and integrity of of the local people um, is also not diminished. So she was fantastic. So in summary I'd really love to encourage um, your team here um, Stephen to listen to the podcast. Uh, We've been lucky to partner with um the amazing team uh, led by dr heather came um who has been um hosting a series of tetriti and anti-racism uh conversations and it's pretty full on it's like i don't know twelve hours worth of interviews and zoom calls and kōrero uh every day um and i believe um, either today or next week, they've got a 12 hour pitcha kucha session where they've got young researchers talking about the impact of or um, their affections onto tiriti uh, and also um, research around anti racism and some of the practical work that they're doing. So we'll be picking up 10 of those conversations and adding them to the list of podcasts um, through He Korero. And um, our aim is to enable all groups. Uh, to be able to listen, reflect, and uh, apply some of the teachings of um, these practitioners, but also for you to have space to, to think to yourself, how am I going to make sense of Te tiriti within my own organisation, within my own staff, um, and also uh, in the work that we're delivering uh, here in Aotearoa? And then there's the broader conversation, which is, um, what does nation building look like in a post-Covid, um, in this new reality that we're facing today. Thank you very much for your time. If you've got any questions, feel free to fire
1: them through. It's awesome. Thank you so much, Camarie. I really appreciate it, especially since you're on the road. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I was actually stacking wood while I listened to it for probably, I think it must run for about four hours or so total and really learned a lot because they were really raw and honest conversations as well. I really appreciated the quality of it as well. So thank you very much for sharing. I'd encourage you all. I put the link in the chat so that you can find it. It's in Apple Podcasts and Spotify and those sorts of places. Um, But there is a link that's there in the chat. So again, this is just good. Um, It's good to hear about what other people are doing, and maybe it wasn't on your radar, and now it can be. Um, I'm going to switch gears again. And um, the point of these calls, for those who've joined since we started, is to hear from diverse people about what they're involved in. Um, And I think it's a really important thing to do, because sometimes we're so busy on the detail of our day-to-day answering emails and making calls that we forget that there's other people doing some good stuff out there. So we're gonna switch over. Um, Michelle, we'd love to hear about the Fundraising Institute of New Zealand and some of the research that you've been doing. Um, over to you.
4: Kia Wale, well, uh, the two amazing women to follow. Kia ora, Marie and Sue, that was wonderful to hear from you both. So we're, I'm here today from the, uh, my name's Michelle Berryman, who, for those that don't know me, and I'm the Executive Director of the Fundraising Institute of New Zealand. And over the last couple of years, like many organisations, um, our kind of what we do has slightly changed and we've taken time to review our strategy and our vision and our mission. And I think our new vision that everyone in Aotearoa New Zealand is empowered and inspired to give generously and confidently to causes that they care about is probably the same vision that we all have here today in this room. And so as we... No, we we, we're not we don't just represent fundraisers. I think we are looking at especially some of the Mahi we've been doing around the check, the demise of checks, um, is kind of why wider sector impact. And over the last 18 months, we've been working on um gift and wills research. This research came about many years ago. Most countries have what's called an included charity camp program, which Encourages everyone to leave a legacy in their gift and um, we had a project where we had included charity here until about two thousand and seventeen, and that has been that 's been paused for the last few years. And so the idea was that there was, there was no reliable baseline New Zealand data that, to measure the success of an IAC campaign, and there was always a nagging thought that New Zealand circumstances and culture could be actually quite different when it comes to giving a gift and leaving a gift in your will. And so we wanted to understand the unique barriers and enablers um, to giving a, leaving a gift in your will, as well as understanding through data and market, market analysis, the actual penetration of legacy given in New Zealand to establish a proper bench. Benchmark. So this is, I mean, this, is, I think this isn't just a fundraising or a charity thing. This is actually a societal thing, and we know that globally through having a, include a campaign in countries it increases it substantially. I don't want to give too much of the uh, information out about the actual research that's coming out next week. But we know that through a campaign, you can more than double, you know, in Canada and overseas, the the prevalence is is plus 10 you know, percent it kind of doubles off the back of a campaign so we've got a baseline we know we know currently how many people leave a gift in their will and um, this information is significant like i said it's for it's not just for fundraisers or for charities it can be used to influence government commerce trusts foundations institutions and ultimately everyday kiwis Um, we want to affect change and create an environment where leaving a charitable legacy and making a gift in your will is the norm and I think there's perceptions that in order to leave a gift to a charity, you've got to be old or rich. That is and this research has proven that it's not. Uh, our youngest confirmed bequester was 28 um, and has left a gift and will to charity. And again, they don't ha- we hear about the million dollar gifts, you know, the big gifts, but actually the gift Gifts are just what you know one two three four five thousand dollars whatever the the gift is not about how much you give it's about the act of giving so this research um, is coming out next week and it looked at we sorry I'm just we looked at it was to the level of awareness and knowledge about leaving a gift uh, what was the gaps what were the perceptions but more importantly what was the motivations what's the process of thinking when you leave a gift in the will and identifying key situations we know for example from this study that during covid one in four people has actually updated or changed their will covid was de- you know it, it made death a reality for many people and alongside maybe having children or children leaving home or grandchildren all of these lifetime um, things that happen to you are triggers for assessing your will we also have very strong findings on the percentage of people who have, given a, who have already left a gift in their will to charity, the impacts COVID had and on the wills, reasons why people give a, leave a gift and the reasons why people don't have a will, which is surprising, there's a surprising amount of people that don't have a will. And what is really unique um, about New Zealand that we've identified is the prevalence of family trusts. 26% of people who are leaving a gift in their will are involved in a family trust. Uh, And globally, that is actually really, really high. So all of these things, if you've got an organization, even if you don't have a huge fundraising strategy or fundraising team, every person that you have a relationship with is potentially going to is someone that will leave a gift. We know that people leave a gift in their will because they have a personal connection and they want to support that cause. They want to be remembered for how much they loved your cause when they are gone. And so by putting it in their will, they're, they're telling their family that this organization was super important to me when I was alive. And I want it to be remembered when I pass. And it's about making the conversation of death, and what you want, something that we embrace. It's a living document. It's not, it's not something to be afraid of. And I think this can add, I think our research will add a lot of um, It will provide a lot of opportunities to start those conversations and understand people's motivations or barriers um, to giving. So that's coming out next week. I do just want to finish on one project that we're about to go into in the next couple of months, and that is to increase awareness um, and address bullying, discrimination, sexual harassment um, in the non-for-profit sector. It's a huge piece of work we want to do. And we know that it's been reported that as many one in five Kiwi workers and volunteers have or are affected by bullying, discrimination, sexual harassment and um, inequality, we, we know everywhere. and it's. Although we know it's prevalent, um, it's rarely discussed and we know it's taking place in plain sight. And so we want to get put together a working group. We're in conversations with the Ministry for Women who are um, incredibly, um, we've got their attention around the MAHI that we want to do. We want to understand how to identify behaviours that may unintentionally perpetuate the cycle of bullying, intimidation, sexual harassment, sexual discrimination and discrimination. And we want to bring together as many people as possible. And that's where um, I'm hoping this group will be able to help. We are just leading this project. We have no agenda. FINS, We have no perceived outcomes. We want to very similar to what we did with the Czech working group. We want to pull together everyone that should be around the table at the beginning to create a collaborative community led approach Um, there's like I said there's no agenda and we want to reach and include as many communities as we can giving everyone the opportunity to be heard included and listened to we're going to tackle the hard questions but it will be a safe anonymous channel to share and be heard and we want to seek the right answers that will support all of our communities to call out discrimination and create equality across communities it's so important that everyone doing the mahi is looked after we we know that if we, we look after you know, that we'll, as fundraisers, we look after our donors, but actually at fins and we strongly feel that we somebody needs to support the people doing the work and make sure they're safe and that they're looked after um, and that they can thrive in order to do the job. So we want to empower communities to speak out and address the silent discrimination and bullying and leading to better equality and improved and equitable decision making. So if anyone is interested in joining the group, I know we've got Huwe, Volunteer New Zealand, the Ministry for Women, and I've been talking to Sue at Philanthropy New Zealand. Before we launch this project, we really want to have a good set of people and I know there's diverse communities that I I would love their advice and, and to be part of this Mahi, and I think um, it's not going to be a short campaign, but we're hoping to create a framework that really will make an impact and it'll be driven by those that are part of the working group.
1: So awesome. Thank you so much. That's great. So So much quality stuff going on. Well done. Um, Is that uh, just a question in the chat. I'll ask it because I think lots of us may be wondering it. Um, That research that you're mentioning, is that something that people will be able to access even if they're not a member of FENS?
4: Yes, um, definitely this part. Yes, we, we will be launching an IEC campaign, which will be a member based campaign. But this research is super important for everyone. So if you um, jump on the website and send us your email address, the the report will be going out um, at the end of next week and will be accessible for all. We're also doing a free webinar, which will deliver the insights and practical, tangible actions from the research on I think about the 17th of April. Again, that's free to register on our website.
1: That's great. Thank you. Yeah, well, um, I put the website as a link in the chat. So hopefully you can all click and get access to it easily. Um, And I know, Michelle, you're very approachable. All of the speakers are very approachable. (laughs) I'm sure that you welcome people writing with um, questions or um, particularly around the, the, the second part that you were talking on the bullying and things. So yeah, that sounds like a great initiative. Um, and Michelle, we actually just sat down to record a podcast about this research and and what it means, but also about your life story. Because um, yeah. some of you may know, I do a podcast interviewing inspiring people across the country. Um, so that episode is coming out pretty soon for Seeds um, Podcast. So thank you everybody for joining. Um, I'm not shutting the meeting down right now, but what we're going to move towards is a chance to have some breakout rooms. So, this is kind of a chance and I know many of you are going to need to leave you've got other commitments and things, or you just don't want to join a breakout room, which is fine um, but it's a chance to really connect with somebody else um, because i'm you know zoom is amazing, technology is great, but it can feel a little bit impersonal and you know watching. You know, like the TV. So that's why I try at the end of these calls to have a little bit of a chance for a human interaction, um, just so it's clear. That's why I'm making the effort to do that. Um, so if you if you're not interested in that, maybe drop off now. Um, but for those of you who are here still, um, next month I've uh, gonna. It's a monthly thing, so it should be in your diaries. If it's not there, then let me know, and I can forward the meeting invite. Um, But I've asked um, KP or Kirsten Patterson from the IOD to speak. So she's going to be sharing about their leadership conference and some of the things that the Institute of Directors is doing. So that's going to be really interesting. And again, the purpose of these calls is to hear from diverse voices that you might not hear from otherwise. So so KP will share. And then um, Maria English from Impact Lab is going to be sharing about the work that they're doing. And and so that's some important um, things that they're involved in, in terms of measuring impact. So I think it's really going to be of interest to those on the call. Um, and I would really ask a favor, which is this sort of a thing only happens because people like you tell other people. It's very much a word of mouth thing. So if you've enjoyed the, the chat today, you've learned something, then Um, feel free to forward on emails I send or let people know about it um, because that's how people find out. And this is all recorded. So I'll send a link to the session so that you'll be able to then forward it on to other people who might've missed it, but maybe would appreciate what we had to say. Um, So thank you so much, Sue, Michelle, and Marie. I really appreciate your insights, your input. It was awesome. Um, Hopefully you can get um, access to what they're doing through the website and keep up to date. It's kind of an exciting time, though, that there is so much good research to, uh, you know, and and new initiatives that maybe will support this sector, um, which, let's be honest, it's been a hard couple years so um, it's great to see these positive things going on Um, yeah really uh, happy about that. (laughs) So what we're going to do now, um, for those of you who remain um, i'm going to send you to breakout rooms.
0: I do hope you enjoyed the audio of that call as you can tell the purpose is to unite people and get them talking across sectors and silos. If you'd like to join the list of more than 600 people who get notifications about it then just let me know. Until next time!